like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Right about now, I think we're feeling like the uh, Michigan College house band playing a flat party on Not a frat party, a kick party. Not a kick party, a pop party. Well, if you want to smoke it, you gotta drive out of the state, so get uh, yourself a mini fast car. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and we are done with 1992 for the time being the last four weeks have been a lot of fun telling the stories of how the band kind of excelled to that stardom and and last week of course was the definitive moment in mtb unplugged but before that all of the holland shows that's kind of leading to that moment we had a lot of fun telling those stories but now we got to figure out a way back into what we usually do, back into other eras, which will be the first time in really a month that we've listened to other songs, because today we're doing East Lansing 1998. So yeah, there's going to be some 10 stuff played, I think like four or five, 10 songs in this show, but now we're actually going to spread it out a little bit and talk about some of the songs from the other albums. So let's jump right into it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. So the response was pretty good on Unplugged, and I'm, I'm really thankful sure. that, that people enjoyed it. What do you think of the outcome of it? How do you feel about people's response to it? Yeah, I thought it was great. It was fun. I think the thing that stuck out to me while we were recording it was, you know, it felt like we were kind of covering some things that hadn't really been talked about when people talk about Unplugged. Because, you know, when you see stuff about Unplugged, it's always about black, it's always about porch. But we were able to kind of, like, piece together some things that maybe hadn't been talked about and like uncover some things that maybe not many people talk about you know the dissident tease is the big one but some other stuff too of like putting some pieces together and kind of giving a more complete performance of it like a coverage of it which we probably wouldn't been able to do until 30 years out you know have some perspective on it so yeah it was a big thing you know i'm glad i'm glad people listened to it i'm glad people enjoyed it you know always and we're actually not going to be done with Unplugged just yet, 
because literally on the day the episode comes out, remember at the end of the show, every single week for like the last two months, I, I was telling you guys, I was asking you, do you know anybody who went to MTV Unplugged? Can you help us? We were looking for somebody that went. On the day the episode came out, we got a message saying, hey, I was there. Okay, when can we get you on the podcast? So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, that's happening. And I don't know when. I'm hoping within the next couple of weeks, but we will have that out there for you to enjoy. Unsure if we're going to do it to the main platform. Unsure we're going to do it to Patreon yet. That will be TBD, but we'll talk about that at some point. Moving forward a little bit, I want to get to talking a little bit about the tour that's coming up, especially the May stuff. And that's because we we actually did a tour reaction episode, but we really haven't touched up on it on the actual show. So I wanted to give it a little bit of its due. And now that we've had a little bit of time to kind of relax and not freak out about what's going on and try to freak out about flights and, yeah, and di- hotels. Digest it a little bit. It's kind of it's been sitting for about a week now. So we're right. Yeah, we, we've got some distance. We can get get some perspective from it a little bit. Right. So, I, you know, I, I think it's good. The May stuff, obviously, all West Coast, nine shows in total. And I think that all is a good primer for maybe what they're going to start doing in Europe. And I think this is going to be a definitive, like, this was what the band was planning for in 2020 with a little bit of differences mixed in. How do, what do you feel about that? Yes. I mean, obviously they decided to split it up. It was all in one leg and now they've broken it up into two legs. So I think that was a smart thing to do. We talked about so many times, like leading up to see here now in Ohana, like it's going to be so emotional. It's going to be this big moment when they come back and like, Think about the response, and Ohana was great, but it was like three shows in the same place, basically. They're going to get to go to all these different cities, and they're going to get that big response every time from people who have been waiting. Some people have held onto their tickets for two years waiting for these shows. Like, that's never happened before. So I can just imagine every night's going to be this huge, big rush of emotions. The crowds are going to be amazing. I'm just looking forward to just watching it as we go. And, like, you know, I'm going to be going to some of the September ones, so it's going to be a big buildup for me to, like, sit and watch these and have to, like, kind of, like, sit on my hands a little bit and, like, all right, let's let, let everyone have their turn and, like, I'll, I'll get my chance later this year. But, uh, yeah, just it's nice to have that anticipation kind of build up again. Yeah, I think you talk about the anticipation leading up to September, and I think that a lot of, at least personally, my anticipation is going to lead up to like the middle of May, yeah. where I'm going to get to see what they do for seven shows, and then kind of have a good idea in mind when I head up to Sacramento, and then down to Vegas of what this tour has kind of become, and I think that's a good indicator, and you could kind of look, especially on Nine Nights, I think there's obviously going to be some songs thrown in there that are just one and done that they might play you know something from no code like a hell hell or something like that and they might not go back to it for the rest of the tour it might just be a lot of one and done stuff kind of like that so you kind of make this like checklist you kind of look at what they've done and see it's like okay what haven't they done for these dates 
and then you can kind of wait and see how that all plays out. But then again, they have tendencies where they won't do that at times. They have tendencies where it's like, okay, we felt really, really good with this song the night before. We're going to play it again. Like something, who knows? It could be another lightning bolt song that kind of comes back into the fold. Something like Sirens or, or Lightning Bolt itself. But I think there's going to be a lot of suspense that builds up to it. And obviously, every single week, we'll probably continue to build to the suspense. And I think that there's just going to be a lot of questions. And and it's fun to ask these questions because really, what I've been saying about the festival shows, like the Ohana and See Here Now, that happened last year, like it reminded me of 2002, the primer before actually going out on tour where you got to hear you know, riot act stuff for the first time. It's kind of like a little bit before avocado where they did a couple of shows. I think they did a show in London where you kind of got to hear some of those songs again. I feel like those shows were this era's version of something like that, where you got little teases and got little showcases of the new songs. I think this in May is going to officially feel like the gigaton era. I, after two years, it's going to finally come to fruition. So yeah, but the, really, this is these are unprecedented times. Having them been gone for so long, and then to come back and then have to wait again. I mean, who knows? But I hope they've got something. You know, I mean, I know they've got something special planned for these shows. You know, and it's just going to be exciting to finally, you know, get back into the swing of like every couple of days, finding a stream, hopefully following the set list along. Like we're going to kind of get back into the swing of things. What I will say is that we'll be able to have extra content on some like post-game sort of things from the arena. I'll be able to do some Facebook Live stuff, but we'll also kind of do, and I don't know if it's going to be after every single show. That might be a little bit difficult because you got to think the West Coast, we're East Coast people, so that's going to take some time to watch and listen to everything, and, and I don't know if I'm going to stay up late. I don't know if you're going to stay up late, but we couldn't put something together in the next morning and have that be a proper reaction to that. So I think maybe we do like the San Diego, then both LA shows and then react and then do a couple other shows and then react and go from there. But I have a feeling that we're going to end up doing the reaction shows on Patreon. So hold that thought and we'll talk about Patreon when it comes later in the show. But actually we're going to kind of sort of in a way get to Patreon right now because this episode that we're doing today is patreon request from our horizon leg patron nick smith and also he's a writer and contributor for live on four legs.com and all of our reviews that we do over there so he picked east lansing 1998 and he has a great story about it so why don't we listen to him talk about it and then we'll get back so here's nick talking about his show request in 98 it got announced on the radio and i skipped two days of school, one to go get a wristband and one to go back and get the ticket. So <laughs> that's how I got tickets to in 98. So tell us, why did you request this one specifically? East Lansing, 1998, your first show. Obviously, everybody has a, a great attachment to their first show, but tell us some of the stories that happened that night. For me, uh, just hearing release, and I, I remember thinking like, oh my God, they're real. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense in, you know, in 2022, but like the lack of information about the band was sort of hard to find at the time. There was no internet. They weren't doing videos or much press or I didn't see it. All those 98 shows are great from like a a historical perspective as well. But I mean, obviously 
I picked that one for my first show. And then the debut of Soldier of Love was really cool. It's in East Lansing, which is Michigan State University, and they brought up a kid wearing a University of Michigan hockey jersey, and he was like, oh, wrong shirt, goodbye, and then brought up a girl to hold the lyrics for the song, and she had a tape recorder because <laughs> she was taping the show, and he said something to her tape recorder, which was really great, too, but I, that whole show, I, looked, I was listening back to it in preparation for this and sort of homework and stuff, but like, it's such a different experience from the first show and then you sort of go, Oh, right. He kicked the soccer ball during rear view mirror and was talking about Iggy pop and showing his penis. <laughs> but for me, it was that first show. Nothing like it. Nothing like, it. and every, every show is so special when you go. It's so amazing. I haven't had a bad one. Did you have a song that you took out of it that maybe wasn't on your repeat list from any of the five records that after that show, you were like, well, need to add this and listen to this way more right now. Do the evolution was kind of a, a weird song when it first came out. Like he's sort of growling and singing in that, that growl tone, but then live that stones guitar playing and, and, and the way he pulls off the singing now, you know, again, 2022, it's, you know, almost every show, but like, I remember thinking that on the record, like, that's kind of crazy. And then seeing it live blew me away. Like, oh, that's really great. You mentioned the the girl who comes out and holds the lyrics for Soldier Love. Do you remember, was it like a teenager? Was it like a young woman? Because that's not on the video. And we were wondering. So I, you know, I was going through Five Horizons. And I think it was yeah. Five Horizons. Like, I'm early, early days of the internet. That she wrote a little piece about what had happened, and I don't remember her age at all. But like you know, to me it seemed college because we were on a college okay. campus. But okay. I remember she she was sort of coy about what he because he took the tape recorder and, and gave her a message, and and she was like, "Don't worry, it was just like it's totally tame and nice." But she never said exactly what he said. But like we were we were all amazed, like, "Oh my god, I was talking into your tape recorder." <laughs> Was she and, like standing next to you in the crowd? Did you? No, no, I was way far away. Like okay, this, okay. this was like he brought up the guy in the front row in the wrong, <laughs> the wrong shirt, kicked him yeah. out, and brought her up there, and then realized she had a tape recorder <laughs> and was okay. like, "Oh, it's a recorder." And then I think he danced with her a little bit. Yep, yep, yeah. I do. Yep, okay. yep. I just want to address that with the tape recorder girl and stuff like that. We do address this later in the episode. So if we talk about it later, we don't know the answer from Nick because we recorded it before. So oh. this is this is sort of happening after the fact. But, hey, you get the information anyway. Is this around the time, like, you know, we talk to people and like you, you, you have your origin story. But then it's for a lot of people with this band, like there's a turning point where it changes where you're like, I'm all in now. Like I'm going to go to as many shows as I can. I'm going to be going on the the forums, whether it's synergy, whether it's whatever we have now. And I'm going to be following set lists. I'm going to be collecting bootlegs. When was that turning point for you to be like, Oh, this is good. I'm a fan of this band to like, this is the greatest thing in my life. Like I have to be a part of this from here on out. Each of those things have different ones. Cause like the, the local record store would like, Again, I wasn't cool enough to know anyone to trade. Like I, I felt like this was my thing and no one else understood it. And to this day, it feels like that sometimes, although this podcast being the exception. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. Buying, all right. 
<laughs> I was buying bootlegs at the record store, and back then I think they were like twenty bucks for a for a double CD. So you felt like, Jesus, that's a lot of money. But and so the bootlegs came pretty early. I think after seeing my first show, it never occurred to me that you could do multiples. But then I was like, well, why couldn't you? And I saw them at the end of that tour in Florida, where I was living. But shortly after that, it was like, oh, I can join the fan club. And then it was, all right, let's plan the five, six shows that you can go to and save some money and maybe try and sell whatever I can or, or forego some other bills to, <laughs> to make some shows. Sure. So I think it was incremental. Okay. Um, I would say from that first hearing, like it felt like I had found my thing. And it just took a while to find like the other stuff. Once again, thank you so much, Nick, for joining and for talking to us and also for requesting and being a patron. Like, this is one of the best things that we get to do is we get to kind of retell everybody's story and figure out why they like certain shows that maybe John or I have never paid attention to before. And I, East Lansing 98 has never been on our radar. Has it been on your radar? All of 1998 is on my radar, but not this one specifically. Right. I mean, like, obviously, there there are some shows in 1998 that are key to what that tour is, but I never really yeah, thought yeah. about East Lansing too much. So if you want to hear more from Nick, actually, that's happening over on Patreon later this week. You'll be able to listen to his profile episode about his life as a Pearl Jam fan and what it's meant to him and some of the stories on the road. So get to hear more about Nick over at Patreon later this week. Okay. Sometimes there are shows that have really big stories leading up. And I think what Nick had told us there, that's enough of a story to really get us into this. As we mentioned at the end of last week's episode, this is following up on Noblesville, which we did not too long ago. I believe it was January or February. So it's really, really early in the second leg here. And also, I think one of the big talking points from Noblesville was seeing what kind of drummer for Pearl Jam Matt Cameron was going to become after the first leg and kind of after feeling his way through it. Really, I, I think we felt this way listening to Noblesville. You really feel this way listening to this show that he has a renewed energy in this. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the same talking points because he had that West Coast leg under him and then they had a few weeks off. So I think we mentioned too, we kind of guessed that he was probably practicing every day, getting these songs down and they were doing longer sound checks to kind of work with him and figure some stuff out. But yeah, he sounds great here. I think you mentioned too, like the more the show goes on, the more it builds up. Just fantastic. And like the end of the main set is very, very good. And we even get a debut to close this, which almost never happens. Almost never. And we're going to get to talking about that. I'm going to mention it right here, though, because you, you mentioned Soundcheck, and I think we got to go over these group of songs that were checked yeah. here because this is, I mean, most of these Matt Cameron had never played, maybe barely even heard before. So let's look over them real quick. Soldier of Love, that's obviously going to be played at the show and be the debut for the closer. Footsteps which was partially played hard to imagine, which was partially played. Mm. Mm -hmm. Actually let's pause and take a note there. We did this as an evolution episode about a year ago or so. 
And what we noticed is that going through this was 1998 was really kind of the comeback of a lot of these. And since Chicago Cab was coming out at the time, there were a lot of people, a lot of fans starting to request Hard to Imagine again. So they go over it in the soundcheck here. And then the next show, two days later in Montreal, it gets played for the first time since 1994. This was right around the time that that Chicago Cab soundtrack was coming out, so it kind of had a, a little bit of a resurgence in the zeitgeist of Pearl Jam. People started thinking about it again. I remember, like, oh, we're finally going to get to hear it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, very cool. But the, yeah, we're not we're not done. Like, we're not even a third of the way done through this soundtrack. You know, let's continue on here then. Dissident, all those yesterdays, mm. no way, which hadn't been played yet. Had not been played. Yeah, that would come close to what we're going to do much later in the year, where. You got to see, I think, the second performance yep. of it. Yep. There's an improv. It could I wonder, literally be anything. I wonder what that is. I wonder if that's something that ended up being like a later thing, maybe. You think it's a song that ha- didn't have a title at the time? Maybe. And still doesn't have is, a title? Because this is from Five Horizons we're looking at here, and this would have been done at the time, so they don't have the benefit of hindsight. Like they wouldn't know if it ended up something ended up being on binaural or something ended up being right. like a fan club single song or something. Like I wonder what that was. Could have just been like some noodling. Who knows? Yeah, right. I think that everything kind of got logged for a purpose, just to say like, okay, this is was was happening in between here and there, but yeah. not really anything of our knowledge. And the other two songs that were checked, this is like you mentioned, long sound check here. Indifference and Satan's Bed. Satan's Bed, obviously not one ever really played in, in this era or much going forward from there. So yeah. then, look, if that was all in the show, I think that this would probably be considered an all timer. But this is, I think, possibly considered more common for the 1998 show. Yeah, and again, just like we talked about with what's going to happen in May, they're still kind of getting their legs under them a little bit on this tour. You're gotten a little rusty having those weeks off, so they're kind of like just getting into the flow of things. You got one show under you, so it's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. But the more they go along, and this tour just keeps getting better and better as it goes on, Cameron would start to get more comfortable, and they would just keep building and building and building into some really good stuff. But here we're kind of still in the early stage of this, this East Coast leg. Why don't we just jump into it then? Red Dot, of course, because every single night this pretty much happened. Red Dot blares on the loudspeaker as the band comes out, takes the stage, and we go right into release.
was a little bit of a slower burn than usual, but it was consistent in its pace after maybe like the first verse or so. And the thing I kept hearing was I kept hearing one of Matt's cymbals, like very consistent in that. But it didn't have those powerful builds and, and drops and, and rises and falls kind of deal. Like it stayed pretty consistent and it didn't feel like it went in the dramatic category that release usually does. Yeah, I picture this not being a very kind of theatrical version. We should mention too that there's a partial video for the show, not not a full video, and it's filmed like from behind the stage. So in some points, that's really cool. Like you get a kind of a different angle and you get to see things you don't normally see, but a lot of it is not focused. Like there's a lot of times where it drops down and you don't even see the band and then certain songs are cut off, but it did help a little bit. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about a few moments that we saw in there that were very cool. But yeah, release, like you said, it doesn't have the big, hard moments that hit like it does now. This is more of a very steady kind of version of release. I thought it did end up very cool. By the end, something gets to a very cool place, and I thought it was great, but not like a showstopper release opener, I thought. Right, and maybe it had to do with we're following that up with three of the fastest songs of the era. So let's pace ourselves in the beginning a little bit. Let's not get overly dramatic on it, get overly theatrical. But one of the things that I will say that had been written in Five Horizons was that Ed was having a throat issue at this show. So I think some of those moments they're kind of holding back on in spaces and then there are others where it's like okay ed went for it on that one but i I find it interesting and i wonder if he went really hard in noblesville because it was the first show because he wasn't in full practice after a month of being out i wonder if that was just some fatigue it could be it says that he motioned toward his throat at various times so it could have been something going on it doesn't say anytime specific and i don't remember seeing a specific one in the video but you should mention too that there were a lot of songs that were cut from the set list so yeah. maybe that had something to do with that as well as he just wasn't in top form yet right and there's only 20 songs which is close to what averages from the era i think it's more like 22 23 yeah but yeah. it's still pretty light you get footsteps fucking up state of love and trust and habit if we're talking about any song that they shouldn't be playing habit and fucking up would be That's probably right. near the top of the That's list true. and state of That's love and trust right below that i think definitely definitely so those were on the set list did not get played let's move into what the next little section is this little run of fast songs that's do the evolution spin the black circle and branded J. and it's just a really fast-paced kickoff evolution igniting it and Ed does have a pretty good growl to his voice in that, so he's kind of using what he has early again, maybe not utilizing it so much in release because all these songs have Ed kind of utilizing that version of his voice. So Spin a Black Circle, that's where Cameron just picks up on the bridge a little bit, and it just gets so fast during this. You feel the build, and you feel like where it's at in the beginning, and you feel it stretching, you feel it stretching, you feel it stretching, and that's all Matt setting the tone for all of it. And then Brandon J, like, we could talk about this for a while, but Brandon J was very good too. Let's find a talking point here from what you liked. Stone. You know, whenever we talk about the Yield song, it's going to be Ghost Don't Go on these little melodic little leads and solos that he gets to do. But release and to do the evolution, when it, like that pops up occasionally, and I always forget how much I like it. But 
very good transition, I thought. And yeah, Ed sounds really good on Under the Evolution at first, maybe at the expense of some of the later stuff with some of those other songs that got cut. But yeah, Spin the Black Circle, listening to that, like once that ending kicks in, oh, it's just really powerful and gets really chaotic at the end. I thought that was fantastic. But Brain of Jay, I think, is the highlight here early on. Stone just goes off and you get to see even Mike go over to him and they kind of like have a little moment together where Mike's like, all right, man, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm with you. All right, I'm impressed. transitional spot the name they gave me part did you notice that the lights went out real quick and ed was kind of looking back and the fans all reacted to it it was some kind of mistake did you notice that i don't remember seeing the lights go up but i knew that one point there's a part where everyone jumps on and when you're in a band you call it like the one everybody hit the one like when that moment kicks in when everybody kicks back in that's like the one two three four the one and there's a moment at this, I think, when it kicks back in where, like, everyone lunges and there you get that little bit of that surge I sometimes talk about where everyone, like, jumps on that one and it's, like, really excited to get to that part. And it felt like a really cool moment. But, yeah, I don't remember anything about a light going out. That, that, that's interesting, though. Yeah, it was, like, two seconds the crowd reacts to so it. Ed kind of mm-hmm. looks up and then they do what they do and they, they kind of ignore it for the rest of the time. But, yeah, it was just one of the, the few visual things that was noticeable because again, like you said, the audio for the bootleg isn't the best quality here. And that's probably why Matt is such a highlight because anytime that you do have audio, that's, you know, within C to B range, you're thinking you can hear the drummer the most and most of the vocals and then kind of muffled together are the two guitars. And the bass is always the one that loses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you lose some of that aspect, but one of the few things I noticed from the video. The next section, this was sound checked and made the set dissonant, given a flying corduroy. Now, dissonant has begun with a dedication to a young girl named Monica. And I think we're on a little bit of a dissonant high here because of last week. And like now that we had that and I hadn't heard it before listening to that sound check or or the commercial, I think it was commercial break. I hadn't heard it yet. And hearing that kind of made the song stand out to me a little more like, okay, now I know some origins of it and made it more appealing to me. So I felt really good on this version of Dissonant. I thought it was really tight, it was really put together, and Dissonant is not one that really sparks much for me anymore, and I didn't think that Ed was anything special on this. He kind of lays off it at the end like he usually does, but again, we're talking about somebody with a little bit of a sore voice here, so of course Dissonant wouldn't be one that he would be full go on, but I thought the band was really tight on this one. Yeah, I mean, I want to mention too, overall, like, this is a very steady, excellent show. It doesn't have some of the the big highs that they'll get to, you know, a little bit later on in 1998, but 
there's almost nothing that's bad. Like, there's not a song that's coming up that we're going to be like, oh, that was a bummer. Like, that kind of ruined the whole flow. No, this is a very, very good show overall. This and I thought, just, just listening to it, I thought every performance was great. I didn't have any really bad things to say about it, but nothing really stood out to me as far as, like, this elevated the show. I mean, we'll get to a couple of them later. You know, there's definitely some good stuff, but this and I thought was one of those that I felt like it was well above average, but nothing really stood out to me from it. It was just, just listening to it, I was just like, oh, this is, this is great. But that's interesting. I didn't get that from last week as far as kind of, like, having it be in the forefront you know that that's interesting because yeah last week was such a unique thing that like not a lot of people have heard and here we're getting six years later so yeah that's interesting oh, given the fly like we mentioned with release release didn't really have those rises and falls but given the fly has all of it like they're excellent builds the crashes are, are perfect on this and I think that Given a Fly is really turned into one of their best live songs in 1998, especially from Yield. No different from when Jack was on. Look, Jack obviously has his own style. Matt, at first, was mimicking it a little bit, and then Matt figured it out for himself and still kind of stayed true to the pace, which wouldn't happen later on. But Given a Fly sounded real good, and Corduroy sounded real good for this. I think I'm in the same boat. Like, nothing from this show sounded bad at all but there are some songs that are just like pretty good and pretty much similar than the last performance you know and it's it's interesting too because those the ones you mentioned you know you're giving the flies and corduroys and do the evolutions those are the ones that matt was playing every night on that first leg so those are the ones i think that he feels most comfortable with so it makes sense that those would be the ones that they would work on and would kind of become the highlights and that they can kind of riff on a little bit and start to do some of the things that they had been doing with jack and had been doing with dave you know once you get that drummer comfortable then you can start taking some left turns and, and stretching some things out and doing some different things so yeah that, that that's a good point i think those three songs especially were probably played every night if not 99 percent of the time so that, that would make sense that those would be the ones that matt would feel most comfortable with corduroy has a special moment a fun moment there's a great solo from mike and then everybody kind of hovers around matt yeah. and goes to jazz yeah. matt at the end ed especially too because we're watching from the back and you see him he's playing guitar there and turns around just looking at matt you just see like oh we got our guy now like we we can do this again right just we, we always talk about that's such a cool moment when they go to the drummer and like you know that that's something where everyone's feeling and they're turning their back to the audience at that point you're seeing them like you would see them in practice or in rehearsal like you're just seeing the five of them as a unit hitting it on all cylinders and they're they're not worried about putting on a show for people they're just focused on the music i, I love those little moments
finally gets to talk to the crowd after seven songs and says, right now, we feel like a Michigan college house band playing at a frat party. <laughs> well, not a frat party, a keg party. Uh, not a keg party, a pot party. If you want to smoke, you got to drive out of state. Get yourself a mini fast car. And that gets us into MFC, which... Look, that kind of fits in with they're playing it a pretty decent amount here, and it's pretty much sounding the same every night. The only thing that I had, like, I always want more from Embassy. I want it to be a little bit longer. I want it extended, and this felt too short and didn't last enough time for what I like the song to be. It can be stretched out, and when it's stretched out, it gets really soaring, it gets really good, and this was pretty much start to finish. That was it. Yeah, it would be exactly a month later that Untitled would, would start to show up. Yeah, and that helps. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The thing that hit me was just fast. I think that helped made it feel like it went by a little bit shorter time, too, is it's just, it's blazing fast. And it has its gnawings, ladies and gentlemen, so, couple, of course. Couple. Hey, 1998, that's, that's when they're starting to do it, I suppose. But like I mentioned, every time we do MFC, that's when you got to mention the gnawings. Wishlist is interesting. Wishlist has a couple of talking points here, and it's easy to call this the best era for Wishlist. But again, I'll go back to Cameron here. That beat that he has on during this, in later eras, he would have a very similar beat, but there's a way to make it heavy and not feel fast and not feeling like you're over-exercising it, and that's what he does here. It's a heavy beat to it. It has that bouncy vibe, but it doesn't overstay its welcome and get too fast. That's the first thing I noticed from it. Hmm. We'll get to the Evo stuff in a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a very, like, if he's off, then it just doesn't work. We've talked about a lot, Wishlist, in kind of later years, it does speed up and it is played a little faster. And I think it loses a little bit of the oomph and, like, the power behind it. But, yeah, this is this is good. I like this version of Wishlist. Let's get to the Evo stuff. So, clearly, you get to it and something is not right. You do not hear any Evo. The band kind of backs off a little bit and they're like, okay, what's going on? And you hear just kind of like one stray sound. And after you hear that, you're like, okay, they go, fuck it. They jump into like this little reprise part that we've talked about on the show before. And then at the end of it, Ed says, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I knew this song.
happens more often than not during this era because there's a lot of things to freaking wish for in the song. Yeah. I don't blame him for not remembering these lyrics. Yeah. Because we talk about some moments where he nails that Ebo part and like it's really good and like it makes those even better to know that like you sometimes you'll you'll get it and like when he nails it, the crowd will go kind of nuts, like you'll get a reaction, some appreciation for it. And it's because you had to get through these where he was just figuring it out. And like, you know, he's probably nervous. It's like a new thing that he's doing. He's not like a fluid kind of showy guitar player like Mike and Stone are. He doesn't have that in him. He plays with feeling like he's up there and like an Ebo is not easy. I can see where he would be real nervous about that. So for me, it's fine. I'm glad it didn't like ruin the song. He kind of pokes fun at himself, which he always does, which is great. But it reminded me of those moments when it's good that it makes it that much more impressive when it's good. Bring up a random, random talking point right now, and let's see if this sticks. I think it was during Rearview Mirror when watching Rearview Mirror, I thought to myself, when has there ever been a legit Eddie Vedder solo? Yeah. In a show. Like outside yeah. of leaving here, his little bits that's, of leaving yeah, here. That's the one I was I went to, yeah, leaving here. Um I, can't think of one. I would really like to see if he uh, he probably doesn't think he has the chops, but yeah. again, he's yeah. much better when he can go kind of fast and repetitive on the guitar and kind of use the arpeggiated notes a little bit. That can go back into soloing. I, I don't think he can't, you know. I would yeah. like to see a song where he does. Yeah, I wonder too, because like there are some rearview mirrors where he's doing some solo-ish type stuff. He's playing like little leads, right? Where he's getting into the, he's fitting in between, you know, where Mike and Stone are, right? And but that's that's a three-person solo, yeah, yeah. solo right there. It's really tough to call that legit solo. Yeah, there's some better mans where he's sometimes he'll go up, he'll do some octave chords during the save it for later. Like he'll kind of play around with that a little bit. But I can't think of one where he like gets the spotlight and goes, this is my solo other than leaving here. Yeah. And, and then I, the little the little Ebo lead in in Wishlist. Right. The only things that I can think of, too. So yeah. Yeah. maybe this is uh, something for the May tour here where we can kind of. <laughs> he's going to break out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Stairway to Heaven, yeah, or yeah. maybe you know, maybe if somebody shouts out Freebird, it'll actually happen this time. Well, highly doubtful. No, let's but let's, let's actually... not put that out in the world. <laughs> we don't need that. Let's move on to some more ten songs here because we haven't gotten enough of them in the past couple of weeks. Jeremy, then Even Flow, and Jeremy is right in the pocket, and the crowd is really on top of this version of Jeremy. It mm-hmm. feels like they get a real good connection and. The crowd is good. The crowd is good from here point on, but I, I think that it's tough to get the full sense of what the entire crowd is instead of just on the bootleg, you're getting like what's in front of whoever the taper is. So you're not getting 15,000, you're more getting like about 100, 200 kind of people. But you do feel those handful of people singing along to this and really feeling part of the song. I don't think there were a lot of those songs earlier because Do the Evolution, which would be that wasn't quite there at this point and then jeremy and even flow back to back are giving you those two moments for this yeah this was the the first time i'd really noticed the crowd since release since like the first part of release so yeah this was great the crowd does a great job it, going to even flow a little bit so 
Like mentioned before, Five Horizons made a notation of Ed pointing to his throat a lot during the show. And there's a part that transitions into the solo and it feels like he says, save me, Mike McCready. He does. And I, yep. I wonder if that's related to that. It has to be, right? I think so. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. this Mike solo this was a great solo from him and I, I would call it like sure. very very Hendrix like it had kind of like almost like delay effect sound a little bit like I don't know how to explain that just the kind of stuff that makes those notes kind of reverberate a little bit more some, some pedals going yeah yeah for sure and then working in tandem with Matt that's where the two of them just fit like a glove in this and of course even flow would be the song where it happens the most often but again it's so early on for them they're gelling pretty well in the beginning but i feel like this show they're starting to be like yeah we we know that we're gelling you're seeing the very early stages of like what would blossom into a very productive partnership on the song between lethal Matt and mike and like you, you talk about going on to 2003 and 2005 and 2006 and you're seeing like the little germ of it the little seed of of what's going to build into something really special here yeah this was good now let's get to kind of a combo here i, I put them all together on my sheet faithful into small town into off he goes faithful Felt uh, a little bit speedier than normal. Usually you kind of get it to open up a little bit, but it felt kind of shortened up. The guitars felt shortened up. So Coming off that even flow momentum. Right. And kind of like MFC sounded good, but it came and went in an instant. Again, not a big crowd moment where now it has become that. Like mm-hmm. it's, But yeah, this is just a, a pretty straight version of it. The tempo's picked up a little bit in Small Town. I think this is kind of... A lot of the show is a little bit of a hint of what you'll get in the future from Cameron, where it's picked up and it's an upbeat tempo, but like they're able to kind of work off it a little bit. And what would be traditionally slow songs, like Off He Goes in Small Town, now have this big progressive beat to them and feel like they have more of an arena, more of an atmospheric soaring version to them. And then later on, of course, the songs get really fast and they're just paced to be kind of rocket fuel. But in this, these are the seedlings that are planted for all that, I think. Yes. Small town, I thought, yeah, like like I said, it, it can have some different version. You look at this on paper and you think faithful into small town and off he goes. This is going to be like kind of the campfire section of the set here near the end but it's definitely not yeah a little little more upbeat a little more electric 
even off he goes like isn't one of those kind of like really down kind of versions and I wonder you know we talked about footsteps was sound checked and then on the set list but not played that's more of the way that I feel like off he goes when it's at its best has that kind of footsteps like darkness to it but yeah this one was not really kind of bright versions of these songs it was interesting leading up to leading up right to the very end now there's one other thing to address on small town if you hear it and this actually happened at a show at Madison Square Garden, the show before the show. And what you hear is Ed kind of emphasizing the word breath. because if you're looking back at the history you're looking back at the evolution of what happened with the song there was one or two people with signs in the crowd that said breath asking a request for them to play it and somewhere in the show ed looks at it and he kind of goes like no 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 with his finger and it says it was during black yeah Right. And and apparently there was there was something that was addressed during a live as well, but that was kind of mm. tough to find. But you can clearly tell in Elderly Woman that he enhanced the, the word breath to mm. kind of make a joke and, and acknowledge that. Yeah, I think they had started to get the signs. You know, you were starting to see him pop up a little bit. It's a month long mission yeah. and one of yeah. the best culminations of any story in Pearl Jam history. And I don't remember it happening in Noblesville, so I think it's easy to say that this might have been the first little thing that popped yeah. up that yeah, that got you right. to the next month. So, right. And hey, ladies and gentlemen, every time that we're going to talk about breath, every time that we're going to cover breath between now and September, just know that in Madison Square Garden, I'm going up to that GA section all waiting in line. <laughs> I'm going to have about 500 to 1,000 breath signs. I'm going to hand them out to every single person. And then I'm going to tell everybody what the drill is. I'm going to be like, all right, during the first talking break, you hold them up. During the first encore break, you hold them up. And we get that song played like it's 1998, guys. Well, I'll be be watching. I'll I'll be watching that set list. I would just love to see it happen. Just love to see it happen. And I think everybody else would, too. Especially that it's on the 24th anniversary of the show. So... All right, we're closing the set here with Rear View Mirror, and once it kind of gets kicked off, there's a big crowd burst at the beginning, and then the song just drives right from the get-go. It has a lot of aggression, like the swallow the fucker down line sounds really, really good. The the bridge, amazing, like soaring liftoff on it, and then you have something that happens midway through that Ed puts a little towel on the speaker then puts a soccer ball on it and kicks a soccer ball into the crowd so there's a lot of stuff going on here i'll leave those kind of talking points up to you and and then we'll fill out the rest in a second this is my favorite performance of this night like i said coming off of the the three songs prior it kind of like lulls you into a little bit of like okay i'm not tuned out but i'm kind of in like a nice place with this show i'm kind of like just kind of listening and enjoying along and nothing's punched me in the face yet and then review mirror starts and it's just like oh wow like this is what this show needed this is why this song ends these sets and like 
it hadn't done that in 94 and 95. It was early. So here we're 98, you're starting to see this thing close out some sets and get some power behind it. And another one I think that Matt had gotten used to playing a lot on that first leg. Oh my God, when the bridge hits, like you mentioned, at first it sounds really light and kind of airy and a little bit, it's basically like, you know, a little bit, I got a little bit of like kind of some Pink Floyd vibes from there. But then it drops down to just Jeff and Matt. When it kicks in, like there's a strobe light that comes on and it's strobe just- Strobe light's awesome. Oh, it is just balls to the wall fury when, when it comes back in. And like, this is one of those 500 perfect versions of Rearview Mirror. This is another one. Another thing that you do get in this bridge too is a little bit of like the Tom Morello kind of scratching a little. And <laughs> it was really tough to hear what guitar that came out of. It could have been Ed. It could have been, I think it was right after he kicked the soccer ball into the crowd. So that could have been Ed, but it yeah. easily could have been Stone as well. But you're getting some of that sound, which, which was very, very good for what they were going for in this version. And then I think what was really interesting is that build to get back into what the ending would be is that for a little bit more of an extension that you usually get, you hear Jeff's bass coming in before the band is really ready to evolve from that bass line and, and jump into the ending. And I thought that that was kind of cool that you're getting that tease a little bit earlier than you usually are. It gets bigger, progresses more, breaks you back in. And then when Ed's kind of doing the saw things so much clearer, want you, want you, you kind of hear sort of the strumming speed up in a way that the ending strumming would be. It's kind of like both parts with Jeff's part coming in a little early and then that fast strumming that's usually held for that last frantic ending is coming in early on this too. So it feels almost accidental, but it's kind of cool that you're getting these hints that are sort of broken through on, on Rear of a Mirror before their normal placement on it.
lot of that comes from Cameron too and him being comfortable and Jeff feeling comfortable with him and being like when you're on stage and you're it's just eye contact and he can just look and be like all right this is the thing that we practice like I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it you're with me right like they can do that and it and it can work and whereas if they had tried that early on right after Cameron joined that that maybe doesn't work yeah, every bit and piece has to be comfortable there. Yeah. And you're right. Once they are comfortable with Matt, when they know what direction he's going to go in without thinking about it, then yep. yeah, they're all on the same page. And it sounds really, really good. Okay, we're at the encore. Let's pause for station identification. Let's talk about some things going on over at Patreon at liveandfourlegs.com. Oh, all the normal things that we usually talk about here. I guess we start with Patreon a little bit. As we mentioned earlier, for Patreon this week, we're going to have Nick's Horizon Profile episode out there. So that's going to come probably Thursday or Friday. And I think soon we're probably going to get to one of the Letterman performances, probably the Hell Hell performance on the 96 Letterman that we're going to get to for our next late night series. So that'll be there too. We're working on Evolution episodes. Those are in progress here. Like you mentioned before, I think... We're going to end up doing a lot of reviews and recaps that are going to go on Patreon are going to be exclusives to that. And one of the reasons why I want to do it there is we're just building to, I think, have more accessibility when we go out on tour. There's something that I want to do that I think is pretty important and I need some kind of equipment to get there. And I'm going to try my best to do a lot of live streaming and it's probably going to have to be to Facebook which I know some people are on Facebook, some people are off Facebook, but this is the the best place to get everybody all at once paying attention. But it has to do with that and it has to do with live streaming because I think the best thing about going to these shows is being able to share at the end of the night with all the people that might not have gotten a taste of it that had to stay home or because it's on the West coast, they live on the East coast that, that weren't able to get that. So I want to be able to provide something like that and, and a little something extra too, that I'm thinking about for the future. So those are things that we're looking for a couple donations on for the not so distant future. So if you're interested in donating to Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs or Go to liveonfourlegs.com and just hit the become a patron button. And you get a lot of things from Patreon. If you want to join the bonus tier, it's a dollar a month. Or you can do the $10 for the year. With that, you get to have all of our exclusive episodes. You get to be involved with any of our exclusive things. We just restarted the Fantasy Leagues, John. Like, how fun is that? This is the first time we've gotten to think about this in a very long time. So we added another league. I think it's probably filled at this point. I'm still talking to one or two people. But if there's enough people that are interested in doing another version of this, please get in touch because we can probably find a way to do it. It's going to take some time. But... We can probably find a way to do it if you're at least interested in this. And that's for Patreon, non-Patreon people. Get involved. If if you want to get involved, obviously hit us up on any of the social medias or live and for legs podcast at gmail.com. There's the $5 gig leg tier that you can donate to, and there's the $10 horizon leg tier, which we talked about before, which Nick is a part of and did his horizon profile of. That's what you get for the horizon profile episode. You also get a profile for our website. And with the $5 tier, you get to request any episode of your choosing that we haven't done yet, or we have a little bit of veto power, but probably not much. So if there's something that you want, we'll look into it. We'll look into seeing if we can get it. 
Now, there is one new patron this week. I hope I do not botch this name. Thank you, Michaela Bozanova, for joining up on the bonus leg. Thank you very much, Michaela. Very, Absolutely. very cool. Thank you. Always good to see new patrons. Always good to have new involvement. Absolutely. John, do you want to talk about anything that's going on at liveonforlugs.com now? Um, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, I've been doing these making of, the, of a moment little pieces every week on the blog and like taking a little bit of a deep dive into my top three moments that we talk about on the show. And it's been a lot of fun. And I'm going to have one coming out for, you know, pre- sorry, probably already out by now for the Unplugged. And it might be a little different than what it's been the last couple of weeks because that's just a very special show. So I'm thinking about doing something different for that one. But be on the lookout for that. Thanks to everybody who's going and checking those out. It's fun. And, you know, you're probably going to hear me expound a little bit more on Rearview Mirror on that next week. Sounds good to me. I'd love to read more on that. Also, a couple things that are coming out. We're in this time period right now where we're a couple days away from Gigaton being its second birthday. So we're going to have a little bit of content on, we're going to kind of pull people in the audience here, people that listen to the show, people that follow us on the the podcast community group on Facebook, that we're going to kind of see where they were with certain songs at the beginning and then where they are with them now. And we're going to kind of do like a little bit of a, a look back and see what is stuck and what they liked live. So that'll be out probably right before the anniversary of Gigaton. And also another thing that's coming in in the future that, again, another thing you, you guys can help out for is just what are you looking forward to the most with the May shows? It could be if you're going to these shows or it could be, hey, I'm just looking forward to listening to some live streams and just seeing what they do in the set. So we want to get as many people participating on that as well. All right. The plan right now, be out in Sacramento, be out in Vegas. We will try to get some things going on. Sacramento is going to be a little bit tough to do some sort of event, but I think Vegas will try to do some sort of meetup. I think we will make an attempt at that, and we'll save events for maybe in September with MSG, with Nashville, with St. Louis. We'll we'll save some for that because I think we'll have a little bit more at our fingertips, at our disposal when we're able to work on those. But we will, I'll be around some of the other people in the Live on Four Legs group that are very close friends and great listeners with us are going to be around and we want to meet everybody. We want to meet and talk to everybody. So hopefully we get to see you at the shows that we're going to show up at. So, all right. With that being said, back to The Rock. And when the encore comes back, you can't tell, or at least I don't know what Ed's singing in this little bit. Do you? Yeah, I couldn't tell. If we had an A quality bootleg, it'd be easier to tell, but for sure. It, it's a little muddied. It's not perfect. So, yeah, it was hard to tell. So then we move on to stuff that we do know what it's about, and that's Hell Hell going into I Got Shit. And I thought that Hell Hell was great. It just pumps absolutely no brakes. And once again, Matt is out to just prove something at this show, and that, that fill before the bridge. How about that? Oh, 
fantastic A plus version of Hail Hail. And like, again, coming off of Rearview Mirror, you know, we're kind of conditioned, like, okay, it's going to be encore. It's going to be like a slow build. Like we might get an acoustic song or something, but to come out and just blow everyone away with Hail Hail here, like I miss that from shows, just coming out and like keep that energy going and come out and just, yeah, blast them with this. Like we're so used to hearing Hail Hail in that, that first section. But yeah, well, I love this. This is oh, just a great version of Hail Hail. I got shit. Now, this was interesting because this is on the grounds of Michigan State in uh, their event center. So what you have here is you have Ed kind of changing the lyric here to, yeah. I got all these questions. There's no teacher I'm ever going to ask. So that's a little nod to being in the collegiate part. And they always love to try to get to collegiate places anytime they can, because they know it's a young audience and they know that's going to be the crowd that's going to be up for it pretty much no matter what. I wonder too, if he was thinking about Clayton, his teacher from, cause like that Merkin ball record, you know, we know about long road yeah. uh-huh. being dedicated to that. And that's on that same record. It was written at the same time. So I wonder if, if he was maybe thinking about that, singing this too, and maybe giving him a little reference to his old teacher there. I thought that was a cool reference. Might have been, yeah. 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 No, no sense why I'm thinking it won't be, but again, I got shit as highlighted by cool. Matt Cameron, who tears a hole into his kit. I think this whole encore is just a drum click in that mm. aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the main set, too, is just you're just getting to feel his on fire mode. You mentioned at the beginning, like it, this, it keeps building and building, but right by the time this, this set is over, it gets to a really good place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to come in a second or two with black. Absolutely. close to the end of the set here weirdly enough but we have alive and black that are going to come before our our song debut at the end here and what's interesting is that alive is not the penultimate and black is which they were playing with a little bit of that at at the time but not every night so this is this is interesting that there's a role reversal it reminded me of those 1992 shows that we all did because all those had alive into black yeah oh yeah for sure just not at this point of the set yeah. It's not in the encore or anything like that. That's usually safe for like garden and leash. Yep. But what I thought like with black and this version, which I think we'll get to more in a second is that I think this version of black definitely felt more like a penultimate song than usual versions of black. I'll, I'll kind of go into a little bit of a live, then we'll leave that for, for another minute or so. But there's, I think some sort of surge at the beginning of a live and it looks like a fan threw either a towel or a t-shirt onto the stage at Ed. It was tough to tell. Yeah, I couldn't tell. But being that you get to the view from behind, you're seeing a lot of faces and you're seeing a lot of crowd stuff. So, yeah, yeah, that was interesting. You get to see people's reactions and stuff. So, yeah, something something gets thrown up. I couldn't tell what it was. And the other thing you see is you see there's only one that the camera shows, but you see a big sign. 
and I don't see it say breath, but I'm gonna think that that's right in the center. That's probably about 10 to 15 rows back. That's probably the one that Ed has caught wind of. I would think so. Yeah, this is like Alive is at the very end of the little video. There's a cool part too. We're gonna get to it in just a second because we gotta talk about the solo. But there's, there's a cool part at the very end of the video, too. I don't know if you call, stay till the very end to catch it. Yeah, I, I'm actually not sure what it is. I, I think more really than just the solo, I think it's just the energy that came from this and the great participation with the crowd, kind of like with the other 10 songs that we mentioned before. They're coming through really, really well on the song. And it feels, it's tough to say like 1996, 1998, and definitely 2000, which really for obvious reasons, but it sometimes didn't really feel like the party song and this night it did <laughs> this feels like the night that the whole band is inviting the entire crowd to be a part of this and celebrate yeah i agree with that the solo it sounds good on the bootleg but the, the video really gives it some perspective and some context because you see mike it looks like he's he does that thing where he's just possessed and like stomping on things and like arcing down really getting on top of his guitar really just flailing around and really just getting into that solo it sounds amazing and the very end of the video you see ed kind of walk over and like kind of looks at him with just this look of just admiration and holy crap that guy's amazing like just has this look on his face like i can't believe i get to stand five feet away from this while it's happening there's just a really funny look on Ed's face. They do a little slow-mo of it at the very, very end of the video, but that's, that's worth checking out for you guys if you want to go back and look at that. Once again, we go back into black, and it's the penultimate one, but this is feeling like the more upbeat kind of version of black. It doesn't have that built-in emotion. It's not going to rise and kind of get that out of it. It's just going to keep going straight forward. It's one of those that it doesn't soar it drives. It's again, Matt and Mike kind of mixed in here, using their talent, using their skills. Matt's keeping the progression. Mike is then feeding off of it with one of his fastest solos that I can remember in a very long time on Black. This is not something he usually pulls out here.
building off of Alive, I think, too, just him just going off on Alive. Like you mentioned, normally you get Black into Alive the other way around. And normally Black is so soulful and, like, emotional. And then Alive turns into this other thing. But here you're flipping it. So I think the Black solo kind of builds off of Alive a little bit and has a little leftover feeling from that, maybe. It was it was a smart decision. And it made a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a little Ed improv, too, where, again, with the quality that we have, I couldn't really make out exactly what he was singing. It, it was tough, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's he's doing a little bit of improv lyrics during the beginning of the solo there. This is where Ed introduces everybody. He puts the focus on Matt the most and really kind of gives him his love at that moment. And I think that's just from the energy that he got from him the whole entire night. Like, that's the definitive aspect of the show is what Matt's doing. Lee doesn't talk a lot at this show, so here he's going to be like, all right, let's 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 get acquainted with the audience a little bit. So he says, this is the end of the summer. Are you back in or are you still out on drugs? I was going to see if anyone fell in love over the summer. Sometimes you have to fall out of love to go to school and then fall in love again. I fell in love with this young man right here. And a young man kind of comes up onto the stage and people are like, whoa, cool, somebody's coming up. And it gets revealed he's wearing a Michigan Wolverine <laughs> shirt, and he has oh, mercifully can't blue. <laughs> can't can't do that. Wrong place, wrong time, my friend. And obviously knows what he's doing, but he's like, "Oh, was it the wrong shirt? Sorry, Jared, you have to go back." It's very very <laughs> funny. And then he goes on to talking about the song that they're about to debut here and says it was a song written in 1962 by Arthur Alexander. As he's doing this, he invites a little girl on stage who is going to hold the lyrics for him. And she gets a louder reaction than Jared did, probably because she's pro Spartans there. And she actually has a recorder and he speaks into that, which is that a like somebody up there recording for a boot or is that somebody like just bringing a toy to have fun with, you know, probably recording for a boot. I got the sense that this was a little kid, but <laughs> no, I didn't get that. I didn't get that feeling. Okay. Maybe, maybe I, maybe <laughs> yeah, I took know. the words wrong. So yeah, unsure, but she comes on stage. We've talked about this for people at the power when they did that in 2003, but she gets to come on stage and hold lyrics for him. Of course, Ed speaks into the recorder and says, we just learned this song today. I don't know the lyrics. And that's where we get the live debut of Soldier of Love. And very timely here, because when I think of this song, I think of 1998. 
I mentioned this a lot with years and eras. And to be honest with you, going through the stats here, it's been played more in the year 2000 than it was 1998. But 1998 is where it kind of really broke out and people figured out, okay, this is what they're doing here. But, you know, there are certain songs like the 2004 songs that were like, you know, Bleed For Me and The yeah. American In Me oh, kind of songs. Rock stuff, yeah. Right. And 1993 is kind of like Sonic Reducers year. 1995 could be seen as like the year of Let My Love Open The Door. Like every era seems to have a cover that's kind of definitive of the era. In 2000, you know, the binaural tour, I, I see a lot of like timeless melody because they don't play timeless melody much outside of that era. So that's what I think of when I think, and, and 1998, I think of Soldier Love when I think of 1998, even though it was only played five times, but it was the Christmas single that year. That's right. And I mean, this was such a different thing for them doing this kind of like 50s 60s kind of doo-wop rock and roll style because you know leaving here is is also from the early 60s but it's a different sort of thing so this was kind of a shock probably to some people like Pearl Jam's doing this now and like they're just kind of having fun with it it doesn't have a big emotional ending it's not like a big Bob O'Reilly moment or like a big indifference or rocking in the free world moment like this is just fun people know the story ed found the record for last kiss you know at the the flea market and that ended up being one thing and then i think he had been turned on to soldier of love by someone in another band had, had told him about the song well i think that this was a song that the beatles recorded right. for like the bbc sessions yeah. or something like really yeah, they, really they early on it. so but like the Arthur Alexander version, I think, I don't know if it was Mark Arm, I, I don't think so, but like someone in another saddle band maybe had like, he had had this record and he saw it and it's just a nice little thing. And like again, wish we had the video because like you picture like this girl holding up the lyrics for him and he's kind of singing at one point evidently dances with her near the end. So yes, yeah, just a nice, fun way to end the show. And then he goes off and talks about his penis for 20 minutes. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, all right, let's let's touch up on that, I suppose. And right after the song, Ed's, you know, just kind of casually is like, all right, I think we're done. Thanks. Then he mentions you traded the beasties for us tonight. And that's something that you brought up. I don't remember when, but you brought up on some episode that yeah. there were a lot of inner connection with when Pearl Jam was playing places in 98 and the Beastie Boys were playing places. They basically had the same, they were doing the same tour at the same time, basically. I remember Crazy. like at Atlanta, the Beastie Boys had played the night before. It was Beastie Boys and Rancid. They were following each other around, basically tandem for this whole leg of this tour. Yeah. That's crazy. He mentions uh, that because Iggy Pop, we talked a lot about Iggy Pop on the Noblesville show, mm -hmm. but Iggy's opening up a lot of dates for them in August and into September a little bit. And they mentioned, you know, they're proud to play with him. He's a Detroit guy and they're in his home state of Michigan. Then he makes a mention here. He says that the state's trying to censor concerts. They want your parents to go out to the concerts with you in case somebody whips out their penis, but it's rock and roll. I should be able to whip out my penis. Keep rock and roll alive. Now, hmm, that's uh, is that we, a comment in, that's age well? Are we in Rotterdam again? <laughs> so no, it hasn't. Yeah, aged well. yeah, no. 
he's 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 not going to say that in in 2022. No, but would it be okay if he did? Probably not. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that sense. So that's yeah. totally fine. We've evolved as a human species and know the edge of what to say. And, and yeah, I don't, I, 1998 had no borders at all. You could say whatever the hell you wanted to. And it was just free reign. Nobody was offended by anything. And, and nobody, nobody even, had Twitter. That's true too. So, okay, let's go into some top moments from the show. Oh. I don't remember where we left off. So I'm just going to go first this time. And, yeah, and yeah. I, so, and just do that thing. I'm going to say my number three is probably Hail Hail. And I just thought, like, coming back from the break, you're picking up from where they left off in the main set. They're on the gas the whole entire time. The fill was incredible, and that's what's sticking out in my mind about this version of Hail Hail. So I really, really like that. I think number two is Black. Again, not something that you really get with Black too often for it to be the penultimate song. But then again, it had this really fast and pretty upbeat and crazy solo on it which yeah there are versions of black that do but usually it's kind of more honed in a little bit but this felt like all balls to the walls with this version of black that doesn't happen a whole hell of a lot so i'm gonna give the number two to black and then i think we talked about this a whole lot i think it's gonna be on your list too but river mirror is my number one there's so many cool things about it it's the culmination of everything that happens in the main set and it's the biggest moment from this night. So, yeah, that's what I'm taking out of it. Good version of River Mirror. Yeah, very good. I'm actually surprised that you didn't have this one. My number three is Brain of Jay. I don't um, have to pick Brain of Jay every time. Okay. I have more I have a more fine. of a diverse you're, you're evolving. taste in my catalog. That's, you're allowed to do I've that. I've always that's been fine. evolving, my friend. <laughs> I thought this was an, an excellent Brain of Jay. Early 1998 version. So, yeah, fantastic. My number two is Corduroy. And my number one, yeah, no surprise, Rearview Mirror. All right, let's hit up a rating for this show. And once again, I'm I'm leading off. So what I'll say about this show is it's a pretty good show. And it's really hard to judge a show based on the kind of bootleg that this is. I know we've done it before. We've had some rough ones that we had to do before. And in my estimate, that does downgrade the rating a little bit because what I like to do with the rating is I like to say, okay, if this is a nine show, I want you to listen to it. I want you to go out there and find the bootleg and and take it in. And for this one, this is a tough listen because there's it's for a lot of people that love the, the crisp and clean bootlegs from 2003 and 2000 and, and the official stuff. This is a completely different mindset of that. And although this may be a good show, is it worth going through the trouble to listen to the bootleg because of that? I, you know, maybe bits and pieces. Go out and listen to Rear View Mirror. Go out and listen to Black and Corduroy and some of those songs. But I don't know if you need to... This is a short set. It's only an hour, 40 minutes, but I don't think you need to go through the whole entire thing to get the gist of what happened here. So I'm going to go with a safe number and say 7.5. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That, that doesn't bother me. I don't know if it's because, you know, I 
kind of lived through that era maybe you know i wasn't spoiled by the the really good sounding stuff before hearing this stuff that's interesting that that would make an impact like that that's that's maybe something for uh for brian and patrick to talk about i'm gonna give this an eight and a half i thought this was a a very good listen like i said earlier high above average performances of almost every song some really good moments you know it it doesn't get to the nine nine and a half level it's it's not quite there but yeah just a solid show and i obviously have a soft spot for 1998 that was the first time i saw them a couple weeks after this so i always kind of have a little bit of nostalgia for this tour and maybe that bumps it up a little but a lot of solid stuff a very diverse set list you get a little bit from every album balanced very well get a debut cover very good rearview mirror thought that, that bumps it up to eight and a half for me yeah i think if this had a pretty normal sounding 1998 boot to it i think this would have gotten like eight or so <laughs> uh, so i only downgraded it probably half a point or so this this was a fine show yeah i enjoyed this but the listening experience takes a lot into this as well so okay okay now, we're kind of going backward a little bit for next week. We're going to the tour before this tour, and we're going to 1996 with next week's show. And yes, we're going to do a Hartford show. Not everybody sigh and like say, uh, another Hartford. You guys are <laughs> definitely playing the Homer card here. No, we are playing the card of we want to get in everybody's requested show. And this one happened to be requested by Chris Pullman, who has been a patron for a pretty long time. So wanted to get this under our belt and get this out for him. And I don't know if he was at this show, but I think this is a bootleg that he owned. So cool. that'd be an interesting story. I'll get yeah. that story from him when it's time to get it from him. So next week is going back to the No Code Tour. And yeah, doing Ooh, a little bit Jack of Irons, the US Jack land. Irons. Can't wait. Of course. Jack Irons and all those No Code songs in their pure form, I suppose. Anything else before we end this one? I don't think so. All keep right. It's hard to get excited for that tour. Like we mentioned, every week we're going to be building up a little bit more. Of course, yeah. We'll we'll try to interpret a little bit of what's happening and a little bit of the rumors. And I think by this time next week, I, I hope that we have an answer on the lottery and what everybody has from the lottery. Or I'll be coming out here and saying, I didn't get Sacramento. Please help me out for Sacramento. <laughs> and of course, you guys are going to be nice enough to be like, oh, I want the, the Live and Four Legs guy to, to have a ticket. Mm -hmm. Hey, we have a better shot of it now than we did in 2020. We, we got a break that that's no, I'm just kidding. You guys, that, that's a <laughs> dumb thing to say. It's a dumb thing to say. But however, I think we should just leave off by asking you guys. The only thing we really ask of you is just to make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast on the places that you can subscribe, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify or Look, you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and listen to everything over there as well, and that helps as well. But if you're subscribed, then definitely go to Apple, especially if you're subscribed there, and make sure that you give this a rating because it's just going to – everything that, that happens helps our visibility out, whether it's the more people, whether it's more comments, whatever it is. Everything helps, and we just want to grow. We, we want other people to know that there have been two idiots that have listened to their show and broke it all down in ways that they probably don't like. So, <laughs> John is not, John does not think that is funny. 
No, that's I. No, that that's good. I, I'm I'm happy to be someone's idiot. <laughs> I I've always known I've been somebody's idiot, so there's no shame in that at all. So. No. That that's fine by us, and other people like to call us other things. And uh, well, we just appreciate that people are saying stuff. Let's just put it that way. Okay, talked on long enough. Let's close this out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Thanks again to Nick Smith for requesting this episode through his Horizon Leg donation on Patreon. And once again, patreon.com slash legs if you want to contribute to the show. Until next week, where we'll have another Patreon-requested episode, we shall see you then. Save me, Mike McCready. And I think we're done. Thanks a lot, everyone, for everyone. I've got here, and I've got you traded for the Beasties tonight. I appreciate you being here. On behalf of all of us, I know uh, Iggy was, we're really proud to play with Iggy in his home state. You know, they tried to censor uh, concerts here. You gotta watch that. You gotta make sure to vote. Keep that shit from happening. Here. They want your parents to have to go to the concerts with you. Just in case some guy, you know, pulls out his penis or something, but, you know, it's rock and roll. You should be able to, I should be able to show my penis. It's rock and roll. So keep rock and roll alive. We love you. Thanks a lot.